Hello and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing all right. Uh, We took a little vacation last week to Vancouver, uh, which for the most part was a lot of fun. We saw a Janelle Monae concert. We enjoyed a lot of good food. The airline did lose our luggage, but we got it back. So, like, everything's cool. Um, And the last week was pretty good. This weekend, I have had, like, a little spike in my anxiety, Mm. uh, which is, nah, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. But, yeah, overall, I'm okay. How about you? Uh, I also enjoyed our vacation. Um, It is why we had a little bit of a, a delay in our weekly episode so thank you everyone for your patience um i know you've been waiting on bated breath for today's episode uh it sounds like it's going to be something uh but i am very excited to share that we have a new patron ah nice so thank you richard primrose for being our most recent patron to join our patreon at patreon.com slash scream scene podcast uh richard joined up at the ten dollar level which means that he gets access to all of our bonus audio he gets this thank you on the show and he gets access to all of the written materials that we've done that is everything from like short stories to essays so thank you for joining us richard thank you richard and thank you all of our creatures of the night out there for Sticking with us through this summer. Yeah, our usual pace has, you know, been whatever, but, you know. We went many years without ever missing a week. Uh, And then suddenly everything hit. Yeah, and we we were a little spotty this summer, we realized, but thank you for sticking with us uh, through some, like, very big movies. I think the quality of the show was better for taking the time to make sure that like our episodes on Psycho and House of Usher and Peeping Tom and stuff were done well. Uh, This episode is also going to be done well, even if the movie is not as deserving as those. What are we watching today, Ben? Today, Sarah, we are watching The Leech Woman from 1960, directed by Edward Dean. Uh, I've never heard of this. That's fair. It sounds awful. (laughs) So um, it is from Universal International. And it was the B picture to Brides of Dracula. Oh, no. Yeah. Basically, the, you know, the deal between Universal and Hammer uh, that enabled Hammer to, like, use some of the Universal monster concepts more directly, which we saw pay off in The Mummy, um, was kind of like a you'll release our movie, we'll release yours kind of reciprocal thing. So this was the B picture to Brides of Dracula, whether you were in the UK or the US, right? Okay. And this film began as an unproduced script by Ben Pivar, uh, the Universal B-movie producer of the 1940s, who had produced the Mummy series, the Paula Dupree films, the Rondo Hatton pictures, and the Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Now, Ben Pivar hasn't actually worked at Universal for 12 years at this point. Uh, He spent the 1950s producing television Mm. and then, like, retired in the 60s. So this is like a script that's been sitting on the shelf since like 1948. Yeah, it sounds like it. 
<laughs> but producer Joseph Gershenson, the head of Universal's music department, uh, decided to dust off the old script and handed it to writer David Duncan to revise. Duncan had written The Thing That Couldn't Die and Monster on the Campus uh, back in 1958. And in 1960, he wrote the screenplay for George Powell's adaptation of The Time Machine, which is kind of the thing that he's best known for. Duncan considered Pivar's script to be unshootably bad. Uh, he spent two weeks writing the new script uh, and then never saw the movie in theaters, like didn't see it until years later when it was on TV, uh, at which point he declared it to be awful. <laughs> Great stamp of approval from the movie's writer. Fantastic. Uh, the film's director was Edward Dean, who had helmed Curse of the Undead the year before. So he had kind of been a Western director. Curse uh, of the Undead is Vampire Cowboy. Yes, that's right. Oh, that movie's so dope. So yeah, he had kind of been mostly a Western director before Curse of the Undead. And then I guess because he did that, Universal was like, cool, you can do horror too. So... Sarah, you have some leech facts prepared? You know, when we had the movie Attack of the Giant Leeches, I, I really like went in on the leech facts. Mm -hmm. So I feel like our audience is fairly prepared. The leech in this movie is more metaphorical than literal. Well, from what I understand from a brief uh, glance at mm. a synopsis, um, in this movie, uh, a lady wants to stay young, so they use leeches to create some kind of concoction. Yeah, she's leeching youth from men. Okay, so she doesn't actually use leeches. Well, I haven't seen the movie. Okay, well, for a movie called The Leech Woman, I feel like it's worthwhile to point out that leeches are hermaphroditic. Oh, okay. Um, so they don't uh, produce... Asexually, like a flower or something like they do need a mate but they have both genitalia gotcha um so it doesn't really matter who the mate is exactly well mm. i mean it has to be another leech ben. sure <laughs> so that's that's your fun leech fact of the day yeah that's what i will mention for leech facts uh today because i feel like you know if you really want to learn about leeches listen to our episode on attack of the giant leeches where it seems like it's more relevant okay so the titular leech woman uh, was played by actress Colleen Gray. She was born Doris Jensen in Nebraska in 1922. She studied drama and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts before moving to L.A. to study at UCLA and try to get into pictures. She scored a contract with 20th Century Fox in 1944, and she appeared in numerous films for them, including as John Wayne's love interest in 1948's Red River. She was let go from her contract in 1950 and spent the 1950s in smaller films and on television. In 1956, she appeared in Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Oh. Um, she's Sterling Hayden's, like, girlfriend in that movie. And in 1957, she played the female lead in The Vampire. Uh, that's the one where the vampire's a science vampire. Yeah. In her retirement, she kind of, like, transitioned into like conservative activism. Um, she was part of like a group that advocated for letting students pray in school or something along those lines. Okay. And she passed away in 2015 at age 92. 92. She highly enjoyed making the leech woman, uh, because she liked the opportunity to be like campy and really over the top with her performance and thought the whole thing was hilarious. 
I feel like that might be the right attitude for a movie where the writer isn't even impressed by his own work. Sure. So sometimes you got to lean into it, right? Mm -hmm. Our male lead is portrayed by actor Grant Williams, who was the Incredible Shrinking Man back in 1957, a movie that he basically just like carries. Yeah. Uh, on his shoulders. Uh, unfortunately, despite the fact that Incredible Shrinking Man was like a critical success and a commercial success, and he got like really good reviews for that role, um, it didn't really propel his career anywhere uh, because it was a genre film. So oh. it was just kind of like, well, it's just science fiction. So I hate that attitude. Yeah. Um, but he, I guess that explains why he's now in this movie. Yes. Uh, he appeared in the sci-fi flick, The Monolith Monsters for Universal, um, and numerous television appearances through the 1960s. Uh, and then this film and after this film, Universal dropped him from his contract. Oof. He spent the 1960s on contract to Warner Brothers and acting on TV, his like Biggest role was probably on Hawaiian Eye, which was like a cop show in the 60s. He retired from acting to teach in the mid-70s. Like to teach acting? Yes. Cool. Uh, and he passed away in 1985 at age 53 from blood poisoning, uh, which was probably caused by his alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, which was probably caused by his intensely closeted homosexuality. He was Catholic um, his mom like disowned him. Uh, she had died a few months before his death and reportedly, um, told him on her deathbed that she hated him. Holy um, shit. He had like a big, you know, alcoholism spiral after that, as you can oh imagine. My God. Um, the yeah. Poor and then guy. passed away, uh, from the toxemia. Holy shit. Yeah. Very sad story. Yeah. In a secondary female role, we find Gloria Talbot, uh, who people might remember from Douglas Sirk's melodrama All That Heaven Allows for Universal in 1955, but who Creatures of the Night may remember better from Daughter of Dr. Jekyll and I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Yeah. Talbot said that she agreed to do the leech woman because her son wanted a horse. <laughs> uh, so she did the picture and then bought him a horse and a nice saddle. Talbot retired from acting in 1966 and passed away in 2000. Okay. So the leech woman was actually shot in March of 1959. The story involves some trips into, you know, African jungle for voodoo magic reasons. Ugh. Um, and it uses stock footage from the 1954 adventure picture Tanganyika for its scenes of the African jungle. Universal International then shelved the picture uh, for a year until they needed a feature to pair with Brides of Dracula. So I was like, okay, cool. Brides of Dracula, Leech Woman, it's horror, it's women, they go together. Let's slap them together and put them out there. Okay. So. <laughs> I mean, as much as, like, we didn't hate Brides of Dracula. We didn't like it as much as a lot of people did. Yeah. But at least I think it's safe to say, even before watching the movie, that it probably was better than this one. Well, um, Leech Woman debuted as the B picture to Brides of Dracula on June 15th, 1960. And it got mixed reviews on release. Um, there was some praise for the acting performances. But criticism of the films like pacing and lack of energy. Uh, boring is a word that got thrown around a lot in the reviews. 
there was a consensus that the picture suffered particularly in comparison to Brides of Dracula, like mm. having them both one after another, the energy of Brides of Dracula apparently made Leechwoman feel like something shot for TV. Sure, because it does end with like, oh, killing the vampire. Like, yeah, and like Van oh, Helsing's climactic. running around and people yeah. are jumping off balconies and it's in color and yeah. That's fair. Bud Westmore's makeup job for this film also got like a mixed reception. Like some people thought it was good and other people thought it was terrible. So we'll find out, I guess. Uh, modern reviewers have criticized the movie's depiction of Africa fairly. Yeah, um, absolutely. But this movie also gets analyzed a lot for like, like papers and shit um, <laughs> for the reasons of like analyzing the story from the perspectives of like sexism and ageism. Okay. Um, just, you know, similar to the wasp woman in that way of like exploring the idea of like, you know, what's the most horrific thing for a woman? Oh, to grow older and this kind of stuff. Okay. So uh, the leech woman was riffed on in mystery science theater 3000 season eight, episode two. Uh, and it was released on DVD by universal in the, Classic Sci-Fi Ultimate Collection, Volume 2. And didn't even make it to Volume 1. And uh, it was released on Blu-ray from Scream Factory, I think, in 2019. Okay. Well, folks, um, it sounds like there are at least a few ways to watch this movie, so hopefully you can watch along with us. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss The Leech Woman from 1960, directed by Edward Dean. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everyone, to Scream Scene. We just finished watching... The Leech Woman from 1960, directed by Edward Dean. Sarah, what'd you think? I didn't like this. It's not good. I was trying to, you know, work my way through the plot synopsis because I write it all down to make sure I didn't like forget anything. And I just got so tired mm. halfway through because it was just so tedious. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, let's... uh Let's get it over with then, shall we? Uh, rip off the Band-Aid. So it's been a while, but we have a, uh, a an endocrinologist here. Um, for those who don't remember those 1940s movies, that's a hormone doctor. Glands. Yeah. The nanotechnology of the 1940s. Remember, we are in 1960. Mm -hmm. So this is old. Mm-hmm. This endocrinologist is Dr. Paul Talbot. Um, when we are introduced into the movie, we see him and his wife, June, in a very toxic relationship. To kind of sum up, she's 10 years older than him and has money, loves him, but he hates her. So she drinks, he pushes her to drink, and then enjoys tormenting her. And he gets drunk, and it's just bad news all around. They're both terrible people. They're both um, terrible. It's, it's very, uh, I said to Sarah at the time when we were watching it, that like this opening scene that introduces them feels like something that two actors would bring to their drama class to like present. Like knock off cat on a hot tin roof. Yeah. 
Um, and it's very uncomfortable for the very first scene. Right? It's like, what a way to introduce a story. Now, Paul's work is about slowing aging by using glands. And um, this work brings a woman named Mala into his office. Now, Mala is 150 years old. And she explains that uh, she was taken as a child from Africa by Arabian slavers. And the reason she's lived so long is by using this powder called Nipa from her tribe. And she's like, I'm telling you all this, Dr. Talbot, so you will give me money so I can go back home in exchange for like telling you about this Nipa powder, whatever. And Paul's like, yeah, dope. I'm also going to go back to your tribe <laughs> and like learn more about this. Uh, now, let me just take an aside and say at Paul's clinic, we meet his nurse, Sally. And during that evening, we meet June's attorney, Neil. And we'll put those two characters on the shelf until they reappear. Right. Now, the reason that June is talking to her attorney, Neil, is because she's kind of been driven to the edge and she's like, fine, Paul, I'll give you the divorce you've always wanted. Uh, and Paul's like super down with that. But now he needs to travel to Africa, which takes money. So when he comes in, he's like, June, my darling, forget about that divorce. I've always loved you, yada, yada. So they head to Africa to try to find Mala's tribe. They hire the guide named David. So they travel through Africa and David, June and Paul get captured by Mala's tribe where she now rules. And she explains that um, the tribe has basically a ritual for her to become young again. The elders, particularly oldest women of this tribe, are revered. And so when it's near the end of their life, they get to take a couple of these um, chemicals and stuff and become young again for like a night to have like all the wild times. And then the next morning they die. Mala has Paul, June and David watch the ritual where basically using a, a claw ring, like a ring that has a claw on it that gets stabbed into the base of a guy's neck uh, where there's like apparently a gland or something that Paul says. The pineal gland. And then um, mixing whatever gunk comes out of that gland with some orchid pollen uh, is the secret concoction for Mala to become young again. And Mala's like, yes, and now that you've seen this transformation, you shall die as well. Uh, but, you know, I'll offer you one last thing before you get to die tomorrow morning. And Paul's like, could you make June young again, please? Oh, God, I hate being married to this old lady. And she's like 50. She's not old. Anyways. Um, basically the reason why Paul asks for June to be transformed is the reason she's here in the first place as gets established is to be a guinea pig. Um, she thinks it's just a big adventure for them, but no, Paul has this ulterior motive and he's also hoping for this transformation for June because yes, he does want a young wife again. Uh, and it would be a great distraction while he and David figure out a way to escape. And he's like, no, but we'll definitely come back for you though. <laughs> And so Molly goes to June and is like, cool, you can do this. And, uh, you know, it does take one guy uh, to die with this gland thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like stabbing the dude in the gland earlier, like definitely killed him. And so you get to choose whichever guy here you want. And June's like, oh, I choose my husband to die. That wasn't hard at all. So he gets killed and she gets young again. The law of equivalent exchange. <laughs> Uh, after this 
transformation, David manages to get some dynamite. And using this dynamite, young June and David escape. And while on the run from the tribe, they fuck. The next morning, she starts to age again. Luckily, David stole that claw ring and the orchid powder, uh, which June then uses to kill David and become young again. So when she comes back home and she's all young, she starts going by the name Terry Hart, who she says is her niece. She gets picked up at the airport by Neil and Sally. Remember them? Uh, who are apparently engaged. Yep. All off screen. Mm Mm-hmm. This doesn't stop Terry from throwing herself at Neil. Uh, Sally is very aware that Neil is falling for Terry's charms because he's a real dick. He's not he's, a good guy. Well, he's not subtle mm. about falling for Terry. And he also falls for Terry like super fast. Like he goes from kind of gawking at her to wanting to marry her in like a day. <laughs> Um, so they're like making out Neil and Terry and then Terry starts to turn back into old June. So she like, you know, sends Neil away and then plans to go out on the town to basically pick up a guy. She's flaunting her true ovary. Um, now the guy that she picks up does plan to rob her, but she kills him and then uses his glands to become young again. I think it's worth saying that, like, when she's turning back each time, she's not turning back to, like, just, like, 50-something June. Like, she's getting, like, I think progressively older each time she turns back, too. So that night, Neil is going to come over. Terry and Neil will finally get to do the deed. And Sally knows and arrives first to basically convince Terry to go back to New York uh, and decides to sweeten her persuasion role with a gun. <laughs> um, Terry kills her and then gets Sally's hormones for, you know, future use. Neil comes over, no clue that Sally has been here. And they are about to, uh, you know, fade to black with a glass of champagne when knock, knock, knock. Who could be at the door? All of the other characters are dead. Turns out it's the police. They are investigating the murder of the earlier guy who's going to rob the lady, um, as well as apparently a murder in New York. They have a search warrant and everything. And as they start going through, they find Sally just lying on the floor in the front hall closet. So Terry tries to explain and then escape. And all of this panic starts to cause her to turn back to June. She runs and hides into her bedroom while everyone else is like knocking on the door being like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, And so she takes Sally's hormones with the orchid pollen, which speeds up the aging, because only men's hormones will do. Uh, In horror of how rapidly she's now aging, she throws herself off the balcony. This is all off screen because we're focused on the men at the door. Uh, And she kills herself. The cops and Neil make it in. They see her on the ground below and they shrug going, what the fuck? And that's the end. So let's talk about pacing. Yeah. So this is like 30 minutes of story in a 77 minute runtime. We don't get to Mala's tribe until 40 minutes in. It's it's 45 minutes when June gets the potion. So yeah. when the premise of the movie kicks in. Yeah. 
in this 77 minute movie. Um, all of the stuff in Africa is super drawn out. Like the sentence, they travel to Africa and journey to Mala's tribe is like probably a good half hour of this movie. Because they really needed to use that stock footage. Yeah. And they're using the stock footage to drag out the running time with a lot of like stuff that isn't really important to the plot. Like, you know, elephants and crocodiles. Yeah. Like at one point there's a bit where June gets away from the camp at night and gets threatened by a stock footage leopard. Like there's all kinds of like these like random encounters basically (laughs) uh, with stock footage from another movie. And it's just there to pad out time. And it has this effect where then the stuff that should be the meat of the movie, which is like the leech woman, like prowling the streets and like killing men to suck their youth from them, which like, that's sort of what should be like the horror movie premise, right? Whether it's from a female perspective of like the horrors of like getting old and, you know, you need to kill people to keep yourself young and like a kind of death becomes her sort of thing. Or whether it's a horror from like a male perspective of like, Hey, those women, right. Always, you know, sucking up your youth and longevity. eh? like, um, (laughs) whichever perspective you're from, like that should be the horror part of the movie. And that stuff is like the last 15 minutes of the runtime. Yeah. I got really tired with this movie. I, did enjoy the actress playing June. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Colleen Gray. Yeah, so she definitely is camping it up, particularly like after she gets the potion. And like that made it watchable. Mm. Um, it's not that she's carrying the movie, but it just like helps you watch the movie because she's like really leaning into the premise. Um, everyone else is very bland. And... I feel bad for Grant Williams, who mm-hmm. like, he's the top build male performer but he plays neil because neil is kind of the attractive young you know breeding couple yeah character um i was about to say like hero but he's not but like the juicier bigger male role here is actually paul even though paul dies like halfway through i disagree because it's so fucking one note like what the script provides is paul is a dick Mm. There's nothing to him. But there's more to do as an actor there, I think, than with Neil, uh, who kind of barely exists in the story. Well, I mean, they each have half of a movie. Sure. You know? But it's like, you know, Grant Williams is too handsome to be Paul, basically. Colleen Gray is all right. Gloria Talbot is not that good in this movie. Yeah, there's nothing to go off of as well. There's some like fun one-liners um, here and there, but not in a way that I would feel comfortable calling the script clever in any sort of way. All of the characters are unlikable, but I do think, even though that makes the movie hard to watch, I do think that's on purpose. I don't think this is a situation where the writers didn't realize all these characters are unlikable. But it's, it's 1960, mm. and we aren't as beholden to we need to make all of our characters bad people so we feel comfortable killing them right but i think what we're seeing here is a movie that feels like exactly what it is a 1940s script with a 1960 rewrite sure it's like that's why we're doing gland shit again that's why we're going to darkest africa again the only thing that really tells you like hey it's the 60s is the script can kind of talk a little bit more frankly about like 
a marital couple that has problems and alcoholism and like talk a little bit more about sex and present like a woman who has sexual desire. And, you know, also the black people in the movie are played by black people. So I think we're seeing a lot of evidence of that kind of tonal dissonance. I guess. Um, this movie was never meant to be anything more than filler. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what it is. I don't think that there is much to really speak about with this movie um, in terms of like things I liked, things I didn't like, because a lot of it was either bland or challenging to watch. I think that there's stuff that you can dig into here if you want to talk about sexism in American society then and now, if you want to talk about like ageism and the way that ageism relates to women, if you want to talk about like racism and colonialism if you want to talk about like sexual orientation there's something very interesting to me about the way that like june has to target men and if she targets women it doesn't work like sorry you can't i guess be a lesbian leech woman but now is that a lesbian leech woman or a lesbian (laughs) leech woman a lesbian leech woman okay (laughs) um but i think that so many of these exact same themes were handled so much better in the Wasp Woman. Yeah, I would much prefer Wasp Woman to this. I think this movie is very clearly riffing on those themes, but it's like it doesn't know what to do with them. Well, and I think, again, this maybe comes back to the like 1940s origin of the script or something, But Wasp Woman manages to integrate those themes into its premise a lot better, even though, like, you know, on paper, like, the premise is very similar. It's, like, a gland that they take from wasps to make her young again or whatever. But it's um, more like honey stuff. Oh, yeah, it's like the royal jelly stuff, right? Yeah. Anyways. That's a minor detail. But, like, Wasp Woman works better because its lead character who needs her youth restored is, like, a model who became like the head of a cosmetics company started her own company, right? Where her whole like livelihood and image and business depends on her looking good and young and beautiful. And that's not to say that like, that's the only sort of woman for whom it's valid in a story to have those concerns, but it's more about when you're crafting a story with these themes, integrate those themes through the whole story. Yeah. And I think the reason why June is just the wife of the crazy scientist is because like some of that 1940s origin of like, well, that's all she could have been if this movie had been made in 1948. But Roger Corman had the benefit of writing a script from scratch in 1958 or 59, whenever Wasp Woman was, um, that could be a bit more modern, like from the get go, rather than trying to like, inject modern sensibilities into an older script and the other thing is like wasp woman feels like it understands its characters better like Mm -hmm. it understands the psychology around not just that female desire to be young again but also like the male chauvinism that drives that yeah the makeup job by bud westmore is like average it's like old people make up on June until she's young again. And then on June, as she gets like 
rapidly aging throughout the movie and on Mala as well. There's like the like second skin wrinkly stuff on her. I think Mala is played by like an older actress, just judging by her like body stature and stuff, mm-hmm. but they definitely added more wrinkles onto her. The one thing I'll say that's effective about the makeup is that they make Colleen Gray look older and younger. Like when she's Terry, they're clearly doing stuff in the makeup to make her look younger than she is. And I think that's a really great way to approach those kinds of things. Normally, not in the context of like a weird sci-fi horror premise, but just in like the context of any movie where like a character has to go from like, I don't know, like 18 to 80 is like cast someone who's like 40 and do makeup to make them look young and do makeup to make them look old. Don't cast like an 18 year old and try to get them them all the way to 80 or don't cast like a 70 year old and try to make them look 18. Like I think, I think it works best when you have someone who's kind of mid ground that you're doing makeup on both ways. Um, For a great example of this, see Nigel Terry in the film Excalibur who, manages to go from being like teen Arthur to old man Arthur in the scope of that movie. And it's pretty effective through the whole picture. Absolutely. Um, I don't have anything else to say about this movie. Do you? Um, yeah, I guess, uh, Oh, I have one more thing actually. Oh yeah. Give me fucking leeches. (laughs) Orchid pollen. Oh, like, no, if you're going to call it leech woman, don't have it be just like, cause she sucks the life from men when it's like, she also just like stabs someone in the neck and then like, puts that liquid into a, some powder and then drinks that. Like there's so much of a disconnect there. Mm. I, I want to see your biting faces. Right. You want like, her to have like suckers on her fingertips or something. Something. Uh. Or have like the powder be derived from leeches. Like, I don't know, make it more like creepy than, oh, an orchid that you've never heard of. So this is like part of what I wanted to talk about. Mm. Um, Orchids. <laughs> orchids are cool yeah um i have orchid facts if you'd like them no thank you okay that's fine thanks sarah um when we cover the orchid woman right. I'll, I'll talk about them yeah for sure um i think the other thing about this movie that feels very old-fashioned and that is part and parcel of the pacing problem is the ending is like super out of nowhere and rushed the movie could have ended with the characters themselves confronting each other like the dramatic opportunity of like neil himself finding sally's dead body and recognizing that like his horn dogism led to his fiance getting murdered by this woman who has ruined his life like twice over with one action Mm -hmm. and then the confrontation that could happen and then the horror of like neil recognizing that like this has been june all along because the movie does at least set up in the early portion that like June clearly wants Neil. Yeah. Um, when she's trying to get him to arrange a divorce between her and Paul. Um, and like he cares for her in a way that feels very like, Oh, this lady's really been beaten down, but that's kind of it. It's a very platonic kind of care. Right. And having that kind of realization of like, Oh God, she did all of this to try Like, you know, like you could have had a big dramatic interaction with these characters and instead the writer couldn't get to that point. They were just like, I don't know what to have happen next. I guess the cops show up and the cops show up and they're like, we have a search warrant. And it's like, well, wait, what are you here for? Oh, we just want to question her about this murder. And it's like, 
how did you get a search warrant? And it's like, well, actually there were two murders. Like the cops are great. The, the cops, cops are, are like the best part of this movie. The cops are great because they are exactly like how real cops would work in this situation where they don't give any information to anyone. And they basically trick like Neil and June into revealing more information than they should and kind of like just trap them in some lies and find the dead body and stuff. But they do just come out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Uh, it, it made me think of like, you know, the Scotland Yard inspector who like shows up like clockwork in every like British horror movie at about the 40 minute mark. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just felt like this huge missed opportunity. And then it's just kind of like, and then she runs and throws herself out the window and the end. Like, yeah, it, it really sucks. Um, all of which is to say, is this a horror movie? Because we we start with like this back and forth character drama then it turns into like a journey through Africa adventure picture. And then, as you say, the methods of like murder and leeching here aren't even really played as being very creepy. Or uh, gruesome. Right. It's not like scary. It's just like events that are happening. And then the cops show up. Yeah. If anything, this is an adventure movie. I will say, if we're going to start looking at ranking mm. or whether this counts or not, um, the wasp woman is, uh, we covered that in episode 283 and it's currently ranked at number 110. Oh yeah. This, I wouldn't put this anywhere near that if we were ranking this. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's always interesting when we get a movie that is 20 years too late because right. that's happened a few times and it's always been a discussion of like, this would have been horror in the forties. But we're 20 years from that. Yeah. Psycho came out this year, my guys. Yeah. Which is also, to your point about like Hayes Codism, the characters in Psycho are also all very flawed. Marion Crane is not a good person. Norman Bates is not a good person. Arbogast is like a little sleazy. Um, Sam Loomis kind of sucks as a person. Marion's sister's like the only person she's, really, but we don't... She's fine, but she's also kind of nothing. Yeah, we don't know anything about her. But yet, Marion is likable. Yeah. To the point where like you're watching the movie and you're like, oh, sh is she going to get out of this? Right? Norman has his charms, right? To the point where like a lot of people have crushes on Anthony Perkins. You know, these characters are likable enough that you want to watch them, but unlikable enough that we understand that they aren't supposed to be like role models yeah and i think that this movie lacks that because not only is paul and june terrible people you know june kills people for youth paul is a terrible husband but like the guide is terrible like his plan for escape is let's just fucking dynamite a village so he kills like a hundred people in this movie and then neil's terrible because he's willing to just like throw his fiance under the bus for like this chick he just met Sally's terrible because like as much as I understand your POV Sally pulling a gun on the hot chick who just no, stole your boyfriend no, and being that like is you're a, getting on a fucking plane to New York bitch that's a baller move yeah that was like damn Sally I didn't know you had that in you but it's like that's still not a good person. No, but uh, it's also like something exciting in this script. Sure. It's just like nobody here is anyone that you're really rooting 
for in any way. So it sounds like we are leaning towards not ranking this. That's my vibe. Although I am curious if you had a spot picked out. I had no idea. Okay. I was like... I was like, okay, Ben's going to carry this. <laughs> I have no idea where this is on the list, Sarah. My brain just says 220. 220 yeah. is... Um, with the note of we have a 278 films on uh-huh. the list, 220 is Monster from the Ocean Floor from 1954. Huh. It's below Jungle Woman. Yeah, I, I thought a lot about the Paula Dupree movies watching this I for some reason. Too. I think the combination of like female villain, jungles, and lots of stock footage. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think this counts. Like, I think this sucks real bad. Because I would also be putting it above Plan 9 from Outer Space, which doesn't feel right. No. Neanderthal would be below it. It's at 224, which is like not a good movie, but fucking awful. Like in a like it's a, horror it's a way. It's a better horror movie. Yeah. yeah. So I, there's yeah. like, even I, looking at the bottom 10 for like The Creeper, The Monkey's Paw, Condemned to Live. <sighs> at the very least, this is like a supernatural thriller. Yeah. But I don't think it actually crosses the line into horror because I don't think at any point in the movie is it trying to frighten you. I think it's trying to like be exciting. Sure. And whether it succeeds or fails is, you know, a subjective experience thing, but I don't think it's ever trying to like actually be scary. I'd also just like to say, um, Attack of the Giant Leeches from <laughs> 1959, we covered it in episode 282 and it's at 259. All right. Well, this would have to rank below that because of the false advertising. Absolutely. Attack of the Giant Leeches did have giant leeches in it. Wolf Blood, also false advertising, 267. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I... Fuck this movie. (laughs) Well, that's like a lot of the movies down here. I don't know. You could argue it was more exciting than The Monkey's Paw at 273. Um, The Creeper was attempting to be exciting i think it probably was a little bit it had better pacing Mm. so if i had you know you twist my arm and i had to choose a range it would be 269 to 273 the creeper to the monkey's paw but like again there's 278 movies on the list like we're down in the dregs yes here and yeah like i think just the fact that this was put on as the b picture to a horror movie it means that they were trying to market this as horror. But they were also just trying to get it out of their library. Yes. They like, were like, yeah, women, here you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. This is product. This yeah. is this is film as content, right? Yeah. Cool. Let's uh let's not put it ranked then. Great. Yeah. Doesn't count. Not scary. Not even trying. Uh not horror. Not good. Don't watch. Don't watch. Waste of your time. Well, folks, if you do want to see the list, or at least see the other films that did not make the list, you can head to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. You can submit an appeal of this non-ranking through our Ask box on Tumblr. You can also email us directly at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com. 
Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, leave us a rating or a review on the podcasting app of your choice, or support us directly at our Patreon, as we mentioned at the top of the show, at patreon.com slash Podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the 5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content, such as weekly bonus audio and uh, regular written content, as Sarah mentioned up at the top of the show. Uh, so if you want to have access to the like five years worth of bonus content we've put out, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. Be like Richard Primrose. Thanks, Richard. Well, Ben, uh, next week is episode 300. Oh, wow. Uh, what are we watching? Well, Sarah, next week we are heading back to Japan oh. for the masterpiece of Japanese horror director Nobuo Nakagawa, who we've seen many films from, but most notably Tokaido Yatsuya Kaiden, our favorite Yatsuya Kaiden, uh, with his film Jigoku, which just means hell. <laughs> this will be a baller episode 300 then. I am super looking forward to it. Amazing. We will see you then, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.